It seems like that it comes from the things that I experience and the feelings that I have. And I told Jenny, um, I've told several people over the years, but just the conversation about how whenever I write about something, I can't do things that I just want to intellectually write about. Um, usually the things I write about are, are what I'm either going through or what I'm feeling on the inside and the passions that I have. And so, you know, even coming into today, um, I think Herb asked me to talk about the wedding in Cana. And, you know, there's a lot of good material in there and a lot of things to learn. And I just started thinking about it. And I'll tell you really what the funny part was is that he asked me a couple of months to do this. And I started writing my third book in, um, right before Thanksgiving. And I had written probably seven or eight chapters, 26, 27,000 words into it. And last week, Herb sends me a text and he says, um, don't forget that you have to teach at TLR. <laughs> like, yeah, thanks, Herb. I, I, I wouldn't forget. But right in the frame of mind that I was in at that moment, and I started th thinking about the wedding in Cana, and I started thinking through some of the stuff that I had written. I knew that there was a perfect spot for the wedding of, wedding in Cana at the end of my chapter two because I really wasn't happy with where chapter two ended. And so today what you're going to get is a lot of the stuff that I've been thinking about the last five months, a lot of the stuff that I have written about the last five months. Um, hopefully you guys don't read what I write. Um, <laughs> you usually won't hear people say things like that, but seriously, uh, I'm pulling all that stuff together and then ending with the wedding in Cana. So uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If I could have somebody stand up and read that, that would be amazing. Or not. So I'll read it. So here we go. Open your, your Bibles um, or your devices to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And it says this. It says, on the third day, circle third day. Don't you guys love that band? <laughs> <laughs> on the third day, circle third day, a wedding, circle wedding took place in Cana and Galilee. Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been inv invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine, and circle no more wine. We'll get back to that in a second. Hey, wait a second, time out. You guys doing good? All right, yeah. tons of energy here, no? Yes. Yeah, yeah, all right. So listen, while we're doing this, you guys have to know that this is a conversation here. I, I hate monologues. I'll tell you that my biggest frustration with sermons is that, you know, we talk and sometimes it can be just generic platitudes and things that we say are a nice intellectual pursuit and there's really nothing that we can take away and make it a part of our lives. Um, Today, this is not so much an intellectual pursuit as much as it is an appeal to us together collectively 
um, and who we're gonna be outside of this and what we take with us. So back to the, uh, back to the sermon. Um, I went backpacking in Alaska in August and we went to Wrangell St. Elias National Park, which if you know anything about Alaska, Wrangell St. Elias is seven hours east of um, the biggest city, the capital, Anchorage, Alaska. So once you fly into Anchorage, you have to drive seven hours. Once we drove seven hours, we ended up in this place called McCarthy, Alaska, population 45. Uh, the big metropolis of McCarthy. Um, there's one dirt road with a few businesses on each side, but one of the things that they have there, one business, is that they have a place called Wrangell Mountain Air. And we were going to take a bush plane the next day and fly an hour into the Wrangell Mountains, and they were going to drop us off and fly away. And we were going to be in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, for a week. And I can't tell you... You know, at, as the plane took off on that misty, dreary, gray day, and it kind of turned away from the mountains and left, I think there was a little bit of fear. I, I'm going to be, I'll be honest. Because, like, who, who are you, you going to call if something happens? Um, but there was also this really amazing sense of relief this feeling of peace, this feeling of solitude, of realizing that over the next week, the only thing that I would be hearing would be the sounds of nature and Josh Brown talking. And those who know Josh Brown, say amen. Yeah. <laughs> You're not recording this, are you? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Um, but it's a really surreal experience of going off into the middle of nowhere and stripping away kind of the accumulated muck and mire that we live in every day. There's just something renewing and refreshing and life-giving about being able to just get away from everything that has entrenched us in our culture, through our politics, through our hatreds and animosities and our antagonisms and our divisions and just go out and try to find your soul again, you know? And I, I don't know how much we get that um, on a daily basis. I don't know how many times that we actually seek that kind of retreat, that kind of refuge, where we can hear our breath once again, you know? There's kind of this crushing agony or this realization on that final day whenever we were, we had like a, I don't know, eight river crossings on the last day and it was 45 degrees and it was raining and we just decided that we were going <laughs> to just go for it and we were going to be completely soaked going through the river and once we got to the final destination it was still raining and the only place there was to camp was on sand and so water and sand <laughs> you know there is a verse that says don't build your house upon the sand for a reason um but man, I was a mess, and I had sand everywhere. And, but I think once I got into my tent, I started thinking about what the next 24 hours would look like, because you kind of go from this place of this stripping away 
of everything of feeling renewed and refreshed but then you know in, in finding so much stillness and peace and serenity but at the same time the realization that you're walking back into so much so much antipathy and hatred where people are at each other's necks i mean i, I i'll tell you that once i got out um of the wilderness um, a friend of mine sent me a note and he said i would suggest turning around and walking right back into the wilderness based on the political events of the last week and i was like oh i'm back whenever i was um, in undergrad at hanover college i remember sitting in a philosophy class and don't you wish you could go back in time and redo some things that you've already I never said a sing. you guys won't believe this, I never said a single word in a philosophy class the entire time. I took some religion classes and never said a word. I was so dumbfounded by everything that everyone was talking about and I had nothing to add, add to the story. Um, but I remember sitting there one day and the professor was talking about this frozen precipitation that falls from the sky that we so eloquently call <coughs> snow. And he said that the Inuit people have upwards of 50 different words for snow in their language. And I was like, to me that was kind of mind boggling that we have one word and that they see it so much differently than we do. You know, they look at snow and they can discuss every single variation of it. And to me, it just, there's, there's a beauty in that. There's a beauty in being able to see those things and, and see the intricacies and the nuances and how delicate it is and be able to be so descriptive in it. And it got me thinking about, you know, there's some really good elements to our labels and how we classify things. But sometimes we become so hyper obsessed with how we classify and label everything. And that sometimes the things that we classify and label and categorize, we, we begin to create hierarchies of this one's good, this one's bad, this one's better. You guys know, do you get that? Like sometimes, and, and we, we kind of take that with us. So while there's a real beauty to being able to describe things and be very descriptive, and you know, many times as someone who writes a lot, I appreciate, and I know the people who read appreciate descriptive words to understand like the feelings and the emotions and to see things that you're putting on paper but at the same time there's there's there 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 is something within us let me just say it this way because i wrote it down um, labels and classifications and categorizations can reinforce and maybe even harden and solidify what's already in our hearts they're projections of how we see, how we experience, and how we relate to the world as a divided, fragmented reality. And so it's in many senses like we see the division and the antagonism and the conflict that's all around us. And many times the way that we start labeling groups and people becomes projections of what we're already either feeling or experiencing or how we see people from the inside and sometimes I wonder if all of these antagonisms and the way that we see people and the way we've labeled people and the way that we categorize people and the way we put them in hierarchies of what's good and what's bad and what has value and what doesn't have value and what's beautiful and what's ugly, sometimes I wonder if we get lost 
with the humanity that's underneath of it. Like we actually miss the person. Like we don't see people as people anymore. We see them for the causes that they represent. We see people for the label that we've attached to them and they become they and we become we and we have this terrible division between us and them and we don't even know the person. Brandon? Jeff? Say something? Or yeah. No, 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 Brandon? I'll get a drink, thanks. Uh, sure. Um, when you were speaking about the wilderness of Alaska, something came to mind and because of my own journey presently, you know how I like the wilderness, but I can't seem to go out there. Yeah. Well, when you were speaking to that, I was thinking of the vessel you are that I know and how much easier it is to commune in that environment. And so with that being said, not being able to get out there, that wilderness inside, okay? And grabbing hold of that wilderness inside to seek that vessel that you're supposed to be. I don't like the city, everybody knows that, but I love this city. And so when uh, you, we, we, the labels, you brought up labels, you had to do that. Um, we get caught in our own labels when we're in our own wilderness and the only person that frees us from that is God so that we can see the Brandon he created or the Sydney he created, you know? Um, that's beautiful. And I feel very trapped by the world today. I think a lot of people can say that if they're honest with themselves. Um, but I feel so much freedom inside because of the last year's sucked. <laughs> you know? You're but, taking the place of Judy here. Well, <laughs> Judy always I would. I feel old. Yeah, I don't so want to feel old. A thousand, every single time that but, I would you know, talk on a Sunday, um, just blows me away. Judy would say something, and she would basically just say the next three points that I was going to make. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, I guess I've grown up a little bit, right? <laughs> Go ahead. Miss, Ju Jeff, Miss Judy, though. though. Hey, Judy. Yeah. She's great on Facebook. <laughs> Mm. So, there, the, there are these realities that we kind of live within, and we can, we can look at one reality that becomes this very fragmented, divided, labeled reality where everyone is categorized and placed in hierarchies, and, and we, can, we can lose the person underneath of it. We, we can begin looking at that person for the group which they belong or the category in which we've labeled them. And underneath of that, we can miss the humanity. We can miss the person behind it because we've looked at them as a part of that group and it's not a part of our group. We live in, <clears throat> and I'm gonna read some of this as we uh, get closer to the end of it because the stuff that I had written for the marriage or the wedding in Cana I actually like it better than anything that I could just riff on normally, so I'll be reading some of it, but I don't think that it takes a genius to figure out that we live in a very precarious time right now. And, you know, the, the discriminating generalizations, the xenophobic stereotypes, the widening fissures between people are growing and deepening in our relationships the tectonic plates of verbal and physical conflict between people and group are shaking us to our very core. And quite honestly, we are on the precipice of a cultural civil war where people cannot even talk to each other anymore. 
in many ways, I think that our individualism is failing us. Our, our divisions are failing us. The narratives that we're told by the news media are failing us. To the extent that we have people that continue to reinforce this and not challenge it, it puts us in a very precarious spot, I think. You know, I, I kind of look around and I think about, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to point fingers. I'm just going to say that, let me say it this way. We have a responsibility as church leaders in this world to guide people into a different reality. We have a responsibility to teach people what that different reality looks like, and we're not doing it. Like I said earlier, we show up in our churches largely to hear a sermon that is a good sermon, and it gives us really good information, but you know, John 1, 14 says, and the word became flesh, and I think, is that word penetrating us at the heart level? Is that word moving from just being this generalized idea of the word out there to being something that we actually become? That the word was made flesh, not just in Jesus, but within this group of people. And if we have a different reality that we are to embody and to reside in, and then to extend, invite, invite others into, then my question is, is why do we find so many Christians participating in the antagonisms? Why do we find so many Christians creating the conflict? Why do we see so many Christians reinforcing a lot of the stereotypes and the categorizations and the labels? And I think that that is the appeal to us here is that We've been, we've been invited into a, a reality that is different than that. And I'm going to get ahead of myself if I don't watch it. Um, you know, we live in a time when political ideology is put, pit against political ideology, ethnic group against ethnic group, the 1% versus the 99%, Black Lives Matter versus uh, All Lives Matter, and vice versa. Republicans are against Democrats, Democrats versus Republicans, liberals versus conservatives. I mean, just go down the list and it's like everybody's against everybody. And, and social media doesn't help and the news media doesn't help. And it's like, they're just throwing gasoline on the fires here. We are in increasingly cynical, polarized and confrontational times. Times that have lost innocence and imagination, and we too many times operate collectively at the lowest common denominator with the survival of the fittest mentality. Our causes, our affiliations, our ideologies have become more important and more valuable than, the, than human beings themselves. People have become obstacles and the necessary casualties to achieve our agendas and our aspirations. We don't see people as human beings anymore. We only see them for the issues they represent. And we, and we believe that they must be crushed and defeated. So, you know, my question here is, in which reality do followers of Jesus reside? You know? Um, Whenever you look at the wedding in Cana, I had you circle three different things. And, and I'm not going to belabor this entire story. You have to understand that whenever you look at the book of John, that John is very figurative in what he writes. It's very symbolic in what he writes. So there's, 
certainly the story element of Jesus going to a wedding, them running out of wine, and then Jesus performing a holy magic trick of turning the water into wine. I, I will mention, though, the best part of the story um, at face value is the fact that he created 120 more gallons of wine after they already ran out. So that is amazing. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> um, so you have to know that a lot of what John writes is largely symbolic. Whenever he says on the third day, that harkens us back to what? Resurrection. The resurrection, right? So he's basically saying that on the third day, on in, in the resurrection, there is a marriage that has taken place, and it is the marriage of heaven and earth. And what he's describing is the festivity, the celebration, the new life that's been given. There's dancing, there's feasting, there's drinking, there's happiness, there's relationships, and there's people just living it to the fullest. And so on the third day in Jesus, we have the first part of new creation. Something has been started in the present on the third day in the resurrection that gives us new life, that gives us new eyes to see things, that helps us relate differently to one another, to see the world differently, to relate to the world differently. It's beautiful. In the first few words of John, we get this amazing explosion of life and life to the fullest that we are a part of. And as you look around at this wedding, it's just amazing because there's dancing. And, and just imagine, it's a week-long wedding celebration, uh, dancing and feasting and drinking and eating and catching up with old friends and sharing stories. And it's, it's the way it all should have always been. And then in the middle of the story, there's something that happens. There's a problem. There's a tension that occurs right in the middle of it. And, and, and you have Jesus' mom who comes to him and she's like, hey, I need you to pull out one of your magic tricks because we are all out of wine. What is the big deal with running out of wine at a, you know, Near, uh, you know, uh, an early, uh, ear, I'm, I'm, <laughs> what is the problem with running out of wine in a Jewish setting at that time? Yeah, I mean, well, it, it would have been, it would have been disgraceful. It would have been an utter disgrace to have all of these people come into a wedding and not only did you serve up some cheap wine, but you didn't even buy enough to last. Something like that would have caused profound shame on not just the family, but on the bride and groom. You, you have something that happens right in the middle of the story that looks like that it could upend the celebration. Mind blown. I love the words that Jesus' mom says whenever she looks over at the guy standing next to the six cisterns that hold uh, the ceremonial washing waters. She just looks at the guys and she's like, do whatever Jesus says. Do what he says, and it'll be all right. And there's this confidence right in the middle of it that 
even while the celebration is ongoing and even while there are smiles and stories being told and even while there's life to the fullest happening that there seems to be an issue or a problem that could cause profound shame on people that could upend the celebration it could become the focal point of the entire wedding celebration and jesus's mom says it's okay just trust this guy because he's got it and to me i think that there it's it's beautiful you know it is this marriage of heaven and earth, this sweet embrace of heaven and earth, this union and communion with the divine into which we have all been presently invited. The resurrection, this new creation has been initiated and we have all been invited by the spirit to take part in that, to commune with that, to be enveloped by that, and then to extend that. And the celebration presently is all around us. The festivities have already started. There's singing and drinking and jubilation. And even while we presently celebrate, even amidst the feasting, the happiness, the joy, and the beauty of this marriage of heaven and earth, there's a tension that threatens to crash the party in shame and dishonor. And the question we have to ask is, will the tension break apart the marriage? Will this, this incident break apart this union of heaven and earth? Will this tension ruin the celebration? Will this tension stop the singing and dancing? Will this, will this tension bring shame and dishonor and tears and regret and pain and suffering to everyone that's there? What, what do you guys see? What, what do you see in this situation? Are you, are, you, are you standing at the empty stone jars and only seeing the impossibility of the situation? Are you standing at the empty stone jars and thinking about the shame and the dishonor and the regret and the pain and the suffering that will ruin the marriage and upend the celebration? Are you standing at the empty stone jars next to the others who are convinced that the party is over and who are already pointing fingers at who's to blame for it? Who drank too much? <laughs> The lady that took two glasses of wine rather than one? I think it's important, Brandon, to let this be known. This is a small behind-the-scenes moment. This is far from the focal point of what everyone is looking at. For those who have the eyes to see, Jay. Amen. Okay. Amen. Um, who are these people that came who weren't invited? <laughs> Drinking all of our wine. Who, who, who is responsible for going out and buying this wine? Or making it? At the empty stone jars, all seems lost. It seems bleak. It seems dire. Is there any light to be found in all of this darkness? Is there any reason to have hope? Everyone who sees the impossibility of the situation is angry and beginning to blame others. And as we stand there, we may have even forgotten as well that there is even a marriage and a celebration that has stopped. You know, what are you seeing? What are you looking at? Are you obsessed with the small situation that can be resolved by the person who can fix it? Or are you 
taking part in the celebration and trusting the one who can fix the problem. Oh, my goodness. I, I like this part that I've written. <laughs> Um, and as we stand there, we may have even forgotten that there's a marriage and a celebration that hasn't stopped. There are even more people dancing and laughing and hugging. In fact, the music's about to get louder and the wine is about to get a whole lot better. There's an entirely new and beautiful, hopeful reality that surrounds us, that envelops us, that will never, that will never be consumed or destroyed or swallowed whole. It is alive and it is full and it is abundant. It is a miraculous and mysterious reality that satisfies our deepest longings, that satisfies our deepest hunger, that erases every dividing line, that transcends our every difference, and that awakens our souls to the awe and wonder and oneness of all things. It is the marriage of heaven and earth, and the celebration continues all around us presently. Do you guys see it? In which reality will you live? Which reality will you extend? Which reality will you invite others into? In Jesus, at the height of dualistic thinking, at the height of hateful discrimination, fearful xenophobia, we-they mentalities, cyclical conflicts, ethnic and religious prejudices, political animosities and perpetual wars, Jesus started a movement away from classifications, away from labels, away from divisions, which then began to erase the dividing lines and hierarchies and the conflicts, all with the most unlikely people from every disparate part of life. Jesus faced head-on ethnocentrism and racism. Jesus stood up to inequality and social stratification. Jesus embraced the uncivilized, the disabled, the outcast, the stigmatized, the unclean, the infected, the sinner. Jesus broke every glass ceiling of every institution and construct, and construct of his time, and even in ours today, if we could see it, if we could trust it if we could embody it. No longer were people seen as Jew or Gentile because in Christ, there's one new humanity. No longer were people to be seen as rich or poor because in Christ, there's one new humanity. No longer were people to be seen as male or female because in Christ, there's one new humanity. No longer were people to be seen as barbarians or civilized because in Christ, there's one new humanity. No longer were people to be seen as clean or unclean because in Christ there's one new humanity. No longer were people to be labeled or classified. No longer were people to be divided against each other or placed in hierarchies. No longer were people to live in conflict or hostility because in Christ there's one new humanity. In Christ there's a new way of seeing all things. And when one sees differently, Christ is in all. Christ is all and is in all. When one sees differently, we no longer view anything from a worldly point of view. When one sees differently, the old ways have gone and the new ways have come. When one sees differently, we unite and find communion in the life-giving, life-sustaining Christ and in a love and a peace that transcends every <clears throat> dividing line. That's the radical beauty of the message of, that Jesus preached, that this reality will no longer be divided, 
that humanity will no longer view each other with labels that we wear by the classifications in which we place people, but would unite in the line around this life-giving reality that transcends every label, every classification, every ideology, every division, because we have learned how to see things differently. As followers of Jesus, we will love God and every single human being created in the image of God with our hearts, minds, and souls, and the way that this love of God manifests in our lives is not through guilting or shaming or wounding or hurting or devaluing or standing against or damning anyone, but by a willingness to sacrifice ourselves in order to demonstrate this radical love of God to everyone. And that is way different than this reality that we have in the world right now. It's this kind of life that stands out amongst people because we don't participate the way the world participates. We choose a different reality. As followers of Jesus, we will affirm the God-given worth and value of every single person on the planet from their conception and first breath of life to their very death. And no longer will we see Protestant or Catholic because in Christ there's one new humanity. No longer will we see fundamentalism or progressives. No longer will we see, see those who are on the inside or those who are on the outside. No longer will we see conservatives or progressives or uh, who else? All the rest of the political spectrum. No longer will we see illegal citizen and illegal alien. No longer will we see black lives matter or all lives matter. No longer will we see privileged or unprivileged. No longer will we see No longer will we see gay or straight or transgender or cisgendered. No longer will we see religious or atheist. No longer will we see American or Pakistani or Afghani or African or North Korean or Russian because in Christ there's one new humanity. As followers of Jesus Christ, we will stand for and will actively work as peacemakers, not just in our own lives, but on behalf of every single life, every single relationship, every single community, and every single situation in which we find ourselves. As followers of Christ, we will unambiguously and self-sacrificially stand in solidarity and love with, by, and for every individual or group who's being marginalized, every group who's being victimized, every group who's being oppressed or harassed or terrorized or threatened, no matter who the aggressor may be, no matter if it's a person with whom we, we may have even previously aligned because in Christ there's a new humanity. As followers of Christ, we will only respond to verbal and physical antagonism, threat, or offense in love. For each person, even the most violent offender has immeasurable worth and value. Even more, a life fully rooted in the radical love of God can only respond in love. Therefore, we will respond to every verbal and physical aggression only in love. As followers of Christ, we will work actively toward forgiveness and reconciliation, not just in our own lives, but between individuals and God, between individuals, between people groups, even when that means that we will likely lose our standing or positions, or standing or position with those with whom we've previously been in community or aligned. As followers of Jesus Christ, we will strive for lives that emanate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, regardless of the changing situations in which we find ourselves. We choose to give the benefit of a doubt 
and to love and to love those to love people despite what is said about them even if it means means standing against them those with whom we previously aligned as followers of Christ we will choose a different way in this hostile and divided world because right now there is so much on the line and the world is starving for the saving healing restorative body of Christ right now because right now, the world needs those who will manifest God's radiant, self-sacrificing, other-centered love and not play the political games and not play the dividing and not feed into the system. Because right now, the world needs those who value all life and believe every person, each and every person is made in the image of God and has immeasurable worth and value. Because right now the world needs those who are actively working to be ambassadors of peace among all people in every situation. Right now, the world needs those who are willing to go to their death by standing in love with those who are stigmatized as outcasts and pushed to the edges. Because right now the world needs those who have taken the path of non-retaliation against the hateful litanies and insults, as well as physical aggressions. Because right now, the world needs those who are working tirelessly to bring the broken pieces back together by working towards forgiveness and reconciliation. Because right now, the world needs those who are steadfast in the moment-by-moment -moment Christ like character and who are not easily swayed or manipulated into being anything less than Christ-like. And because right now, the world needs an invitation into this new and beautiful life-giving reality of the kingdom of God and people who are willing to extend the invitation. For it's through this life-giving, life-sustaining Christ in which all things were created and by this Christ that holds all things together and through this Christ that God is restoring all things to himself into perfect oneness, perfect unity, perfect shalom, with no divisions, no dividing lines, no classifications, and no labels for those who presently receive this invitation, for those who choose to see the world differently, for, for those who are standing at the wedding, at the empty barrels, and, real, and, and even taking the advice of Jesus' mother when she says, just trust this guy. Do you see it? That's the good news. That is very, very good news. Eric Riddle. Yeah, I was going to say, there at the very beginning of John, there is you know, the statement of, in the beginning, there was the word. And for me, that word is about creating that relationship between you know, God and what... God is, and the other being creation, right? That that's the relationship like you spoke of. Uh, but then, you know, the reality of sin is about separateness, right? So yep. it's like, oh, well, there's this and that. So there's possibility of sin and separateness also. So then, you know, where I go often is like, how are you going to use your word? In the beginning, there was where how are you going to use your word to overcome that separateness and bring together? <laughs> unity and creation. Yep. I think that's a beautiful point. One of the things that I wrote recently is that I wrote it a long time ago, but then I rewrote it. Nobody remembers it when I wrote it a long time ago. Um, <laughs> if you go into the New Testament and you look at 
the word sen. Uh, I think it's harmartia. Yeah, I'm probably saying it incorrectly. 80% um, of the time that the word sin is used in the New Testament, it is used as a noun, which is interesting because we kind of, in the church, always view it as a verb, these little naughty behaviors that we do. But it's interesting that the Bible actually uses it as a noun, which means a place or a position. It's, it's where we stand in relationship to God, union and disunion, right? Our disunion, what you said, our disunion from God manifests sin outwardly. So our sin is our position in which we stand, and union is the solution to sin. That's where we find ourselves in Christ. It's like being in Christ is something that we enter into and we become, and we invite others to see it as well. To me, it's just, we've spent way too much time on um, staying, putting ribbons around our fingers saying don't send anymore and not realizing that it's what we enter into that we become. Good word. Anybody else? Yeah. Guys, it's been for real and I appreciate it. I thank you um, for letting me come. I usually don't Whenever I talk, I usually don't read all of it, so it's a little bit unusual. But like I said, I thought that what I had written is better than what I could just do off the cuff. So let's pray, and we shall be done. Oh, let's pray, and you can do communion. And Jen told me that that clock's fast, so we're doing not so well. We're going to do a fast communion today. God, we thank you for this life-giving reality in which we can enter, God, that it takes us out of this world and um, out of every hostility. God, that we can rediscover our breath, we can rediscover our heart in you, that we can enter into this union and communion with you every moment with every breath, God, that, it beca it, 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 that it's something that we become, that it's something that we extend, that it's something that we invite others into. The world doesn't have to be this way. But it has to start somewhere. So I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself. God, that we will not participate in the angry litanies, the uh, harsh characterizations, and the dividing lines that we uh, have created so much, God. We pray for shalom in and through our lives, and we thank you for pouring that into us and letting us see it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.